Today on the Podski, we're going to be looking over numbers 50 through 41. But before we get into that, we're going to run over the holiday awards show coming up and the holiday show. So with that, the Podski starts now. The Podski with John Baker. For over one year, the revolutionary force in audio entertainment. Hello and welcome to the Posse. I'm your host, the man of a thousand gimmicks, Johnny Bay Show, episode 77. And today we're going to be taking a look at numbers 50 through 41 in the Podski 100. Last week we did numbers 60 through 51, so go back and check that out in the archives. Uh, we got uh, we got a, a new group in here today. We got uh, Teddy Mongoose, the the regular, and we also uh, the Doc is back from from uh, working his uh, his shoot job. So we are all three here together. Uh, Justin Andretti is MIA. We have not heard from him all day. We have no idea where he is. So T's and P's. We have no idea where you are. Probably taking the dogs <laughs> out. We're putting some sealant down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know what that means in code talk. <laughs> uh so what's going what's going on? What's going on, Doc? Since you beat me in hot shots. Uh, you know, I've just been reveling in my own glories. Uh the majority of it. No, actually, someone a group of people let me teach the youth of America. Um, so I have been making sure that uh all of my young scholars have uh, been educationally successful, except for, you know, those couple that I uh, had to send to the shadow realm. Um, but that's just job security. I'll see them next semester. So, um, But otherwise, it's been good. Um, just looking forward to having a couple minutes to breathe before the uh, sprint that turns into a marathon starts again. So, yeah, good to see everybody. Going I'm on. over. I'm, I'm over here living a life, man. Blessed, blessed to be on episode 77. We've had some important numbers come across us, and which I guess will happen every single time that we continue to count up. Uh, but let us not forget that seven is uh, it's a, it's a number of perfection, right? Prince's song seven, signifying all the sevens in the Bible, right? Going from the seven deadly sins, Prince talked to the seven chains of gold, um, the seven heavens, right? Seven hells. You know, there's one of those things that we see over and over again. Uh, and then when we take a number, we multiply it by 11 and we get its double. I think that we're in for trouble, if you know what I mean, in a good way. So let's, let's party. <laughs> oh, yes, it is episode 77. And uh, if you're listening to us, uh, in podcast platform we appreciate that make sure you hit us up on socials at the underscore podski get the doc at uh the podski doc i, I almost forgot it there for a second uh and that you uh download rate view subscribe if you're watching along on uh, youtube uh, make sure you subscribe and hit the like button uh but we got some housekeeping here before we jump into the list we have a holiday show coming up next week hopefully 
I believe believe we're we're gonna try to get that done. I'm not sure how it's gonna all come together here. Uh, but we have a holiday show planned for that. Uh, but the big show, it's the biggest show of the year, and that will come uh, the Christmas week after Christmas, in between Christmas and New Year's, and that's going to be the holiday award show. Same thing that we did last year with a bit of a twist, uh, because last year we kind of got on here and deliberated, and we made our own picks during the show, and it was a five-hour show. So we're not going to put you guys through that again this year. We're going to have all of our picks in and the nominations are going to be made uh, all beforehand. And then uh, we'll reveal the award winners here on the show. So uh, we got that to look forward to. But today is we were we're halfway through the, the Podsky 100 is halfway through. It's kind of crazy that we were here already. Uh, but the 100 through 51 is on the screen right now. If you're following along on YouTube, sorry if you're listening to us in audio, uh, but you can see that now. Uh, had a lot of great wrestlers beforehand, and this is a, a stout list of 10 that we have again here today, and we're kicking it off with number 50, who this is like JC and I's like best guy that we both love in the business right now. We're both huge marks for this guy. Came in with 165 votes. He was on Andretti's list at 86. He was on Mongoose's list at 71. He was on JC's list at 42. And he came in on my list at number 40. And that is the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes. And love to see it. You'd love to see it. Uh, for me, Cody, I, I really jumped on the Cody train during the whole BTE stuff where he did the uh, the FTR stuff, and then he did all that stuff with Flip Gordon. And him doing and saying all of that stuff to Flip, everybody else was, like, over with uh, the Young Bucks and Omega. And there was some, like, Marty contingents. And then there was, like, I felt like nobody was really behind Cody because he was, like, that heel that was there to break up the Bullet Club. And I I fell in love with that character. That's one of, I know that, Mongoose and I have talked about this here on the show before that Kenny Omega, Cody Rhodes rivalry. And that, that uh, was that a final battle or super card of honor, super card of honor. And the, uh, that the bullet club explodes is my favorite storyline of not being a child wrestling. So like from the time that I was 12 until now, that's my, that's my favorite storyline in, in wrestling. Yeah, it is so good. Uh, I, I, that's, that has to be one of my favorites as well. And it, it's the, the way that Cody had bet on himself, left WWE, made a name for himself out on the Indies, came, you know, fought his way, scratched and clawed, found his way into the Bullet Club. And then with the elite and all that, then he became an EVP with AW and had that little bit of a good run but a weird run at the same time and then you know he returns to wwe and now he's like the biggest baby face that they have there that they've seen in a long long time so um super excited that he's on the list and uh but i know that uh jc he's got a lot to say about uh he's got a lot to say about cody as well yeah um so i got back into wrestling um because of uh being friends with john uh and over the pandemic it was stuff that we could do and talk about without being, you know, near each other. I was also um, 
towards the end of my master's degree um, and then moving uh, down the coast to pursue uh, my doctorate. And Cody played a large role in, in that time frame. Like the BTE stuff was kind of what started it. And all of the the money shakes and the the <laughs> all the stuff he did making fun of people who would be potentially going to WWE and then the irony of him then later doing it. But um and then like through that you could see his leadership in AEW and he had such a what felt like a different style from what was going on in the rest of AEW. Uh that it was always a segment that I was interested in and enjoyed. I enjoy his work. Um and there is a certain level, like he's a professional in the same way that I have to be a professional. You know, there's a smart ass and someone who has, uh, you know, a, a real human personality underneath the veneer of having to be a professional. And it peaks out every once in a while. And I can relate to that in my job. I kind of have to do that. So I felt relatable in that way. And you could tell he loves what he does. Um, and he takes it seriously and he enjoys it. And, you know, it, I don't think the babyface version of him is that far off from the real person. Um, so I feel like there's a certain amount of authenticity that also draws me to him uh, and the hard work. Like everything's turned up to 11, you know, to a certain degree. So that's that's real life. But um, and it's the stories with him like, oh, he's as far as like the current standard for work in wrestling today like he maybe doesn't hit the highest of highs when it comes to that but he's an excellent storyteller both creatively and in the ring and to me that's when wrestling is the best like i can watch people do 1450 google planches you know over the top rope and like i can watch four or five of those in a show and be like okay we've kind of hit our limit on that but you watch what he does and everything kind of means something and everything has levels to it and there's depth to it and i can point stuff back to other stuff and okay he does the super overselling sometimes and he kind of walks like a spongebob squeaky meme and those are always hilarious yeah. uh, but he has enough self-awareness to lean into it um and you know then occasionally you get the gem like he comes out after a, a ppv and he's you know half tossed and it's just a <laughs> hilarious experience um but at the end of the day, like he's a person that you know you can get behind and you're likely not going to be disappointed. Um, you might get disappointed about other things like leaving AEW and whatever, but that's a different kind of decision. But he feels like a sure bet to, to be invested into, and I'm looking forward to that paying off um, soon enough when we're in uh, Philly for WrestleMania. So. Um, I could go on for a while. I don't want to hold up the proceedings and I'm sure, um, Mongoose has stuff to say about it. So, um, I will turn it over to him, but yeah, Cody, I'm glad he's on the list. So for me, I missed all of the legacy stuff. So I was not there to see all of the Cody and Ted DiBiase Jr. and Randy Orton and all of those things. Whenever I went feet first back into the business, my first uh, real memory of Cody would have been him as Stardust in the ladder match in WrestleMania 31. Oh, yeah, that one is, yes. Yeah, and, and that was, but the weird thing is, 
I thought it was cool that Cody was like embracing, you know, little gold dust. Um, while at the same time, he was very much an afterthought because they have Daniel Bryan winning the IC title, weirdly enough, right the year after that he unified the championships at Yeslemania in Therney or whatever. Yeah. Sorry, I had to wet the whistle there. So I then go to 32. He comes out in polka dots right after you know Dusty passes. And so then I'm, I'm behind this guy again. You know, in between, I couldn't tell you anything that happened, but those two things really stand out to me. Both of those mini ladder matches. Um, he's in the polka dots. Um, you know, somebody that grew up with that dusty polka dots Hasbro figure, you know, that that said something to me, you know, sort of rang my uh, nostalgia bells. Doesn't win that one. That's the Zack Ryder one, right? 32? Yep. 32. Yeah. Yep. So two times he's in a match that's incredible. That's someone else's story. Um, and then we get to the the list. And yeah. the list is actually what made me pay attention to Cody Rhodes. So when he decided that he was going to go his own way, again, I only really knew him as Stardust and whatever, you know, that's it's just what these guys do. Um, but I do remember that being a quasi viral thing as I was sort of, you know, getting more immersed into the business. And uh, I actually have the list here. So really quick, this is what's cool about the list. So the list was, and this isn't an order because I was jotting things down and then putting notes on stuff as I was going through. So the list was what Cody was wanted to accomplish on his own before ever basically contemplating a return to WWE. So these were the things that being a world wrestling entertainer had prevented him from doing. So the first thing was to wrestle Adam Cole, uh, which he did in May 26, 2017, wrestled him for Cody's Northeast Wrestling Heavyweight Championship. Didn't even know that match happened. It's on my must-see list. I have several of these now. <laughs> um, Dalton Castle was one. And the really cool thing with Dalton Castle is that he put Dalton Castle over for the championship, uh, for the ROH championship at the, I believe it was final battle before he went on to Supercard to face Kenny. So what better way is there for you to crown a king than to be at the top of ROH, which he was, man. He's the only reason we started watching ROH. Yep. And for him to put over Dalton Castle like that was huge. I didn't know Dalton Castle until he came back from his injury for that storyline. And I still love Dalton Castle to this day. Uh, he had participated in the Battle of Los Angeles, which he did. He lost to Marty Skrull in the year Marty Skrull won. Um, he had wrestled Chris Hero, which he did at an Evolve show. That was his second opponent outside of the WWE. So he checked that uh, checked that box right away. He had wrestle, and it was on his list. It said the Miracle, and I didn't know that the Miracle was Mike Bennett. And people can get mad, but listen, man, I, I, I wasn't too hip to the Impact game in 2017, right? Um, and he did that. He he had a match with the Miracle, Mike Bennett. Before Bennett came back to WWE, um, he had Moose, which he wrestled in 2017 with Impact. He had the streamers thing in quotes, which is the entrance that he got in the um, Supercard match versus Kenny. So mm -hmm. if you get the streamers coming out for both opponents, 
you know that you're in big time in Ring of Honor, and he did it. Um, he had the Young Bucks, which he faced with his brother yep. after that epic, epic, epic uh, match at Double or Nothing. Uh, they then teamed to face the other brother team in newly formed AEW at, I believe it was at Fighter Fest or Fight for the Fallen that year. This is one of the two. Yeah, Fight for the Fallen. There you go. Um, he had wrestled Trevor Lee, which for those of you that don't know, that is Cameron Grimes. So he he had wrestled Cameron Grimes on his list in 2016. He actually wrestled him in a PWG match in 2017. Uh, He had Shibata on the list, which he wrestled in a tag. He was tagged with Hangman versus Shibata and Jay Lethal in 2017. He had wrestled Kurt Angle. Those guys had a best of three series Uh, in the in the first match. Angle tapped him out in 12 minutes. Cody then won the next two, including a um, steel cage match for their sort of blow off. And that was Kurt Angle's last match before he went back to WWE to then retire against Baron Corbin. Poor bloke. Um, (laughs) He he had uh, wrestled Pat Buck, which he did at WrestlePro, which was an offshoot of one of Pat Buck's promotions. Um, The only things that I do not know that he has had accomplished are personal ring announcer which i'm sure he married one Brand- i was just gonna say i'm sure that brandy Rhodes at some point in time did it yeah. you know and so maybe maybe i'm wrong about that but i'm just going to say that it had to happen and the one thing from that list that he did not accomplish was a match with roger strong and um. what's crazy is that i feel like roddy is doing his best work since nxt especially you know like that early undisputed era nxt era uh, i think roddy's amazing um and i hope that their paths do cross because that would be really cool to see all those things get checked off in between the dude helped start a company right when when you said jc about the being the elite things with the money shakes and all of that that was awesome that he was mm-hmm. such a wonderful character on that show when they did the entire, like the, uh, the, the funeral for, uh, what was it? Was it Joey Ryan's? Um, yeah. Or no, just, just Joey mm-hmm. Ryan. That's right. Cause they killed yeah. Joey Ryan uh, before, yeah. before all those, you know, the, the, before the world did. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. What, before, before all of that happened, uh, that was incredible stuff. His heel turn was not only was it impressive from in-ring work, but the psychological work to have a full heel turn happen over a YouTube show, that's what makes me think that that's my favorite storyline ever, is that they made you tune in to 10 minutes a week to see him slowly, slowly be this power-hungry guy. Uh, for Kenny to call him a three-star general, um, to say that, to literally for them to get into an argument with each other and him say he's never even had a four-star match was insane. Um, the three-star general thing was great. And here's the best part about it is that three-star general thing sort of stuck until it didn't anymore because then Cody had multiple five-star matches, legit five-star matches. And so I can't believe I said all these words about a guy that's number 50, but I'm, I I had to put that all out there, man, because he's, he's great, man. He will be an observer hall of famer someday. He, I don't think he's a first ballot guy. I don't know if he's a first five years guy, but I think that he's certainly in by the time that we get to 2030 and it's well-deserving. 
Yeah, as far as accolades, he's a two-time Intercontinental Champion, uh, four-time tag, five-time tag team champion. Um, he's won the Royal Rumble in 2023, headlined at WrestleMania last year with Roman Reigns. Hopefully he will do that again this year while we're there at WrestleMania 40. Uh, an endless amount of um, OVW, New Japan. Uh, he was the... Uh, U.S. Heavyweight Championship in New Japan, so many uh, indie promotions, um, and he, you know, he was the first uh, TNT champion, and he, uh, well, you know, was the inaugural champion of that. So he won that three times. Yeah. So um, there's one last thing I want to put a button on with him about, yeah. and I think that that is the overall impact he's had on the business, being a forerunner with AEW and bringing some legitimacy to it, but also being sort of that spiritual base. Yeah, they talk about the Bucks and Kenny, and yes, they are part of it for sure. They're all, as a group, the part of it. But he was he was the face of it. When, you, when they put it together, number one action figure, number one in the line was Cody Rhodes. And he was on all of the merchandise. He was on all of the things. And personally, what sealed me back into wrestling, and I just want to give this match its due, it was the, um, was the match with him and Dustin. Yeah, it's my favorite double match. or nothing. It is my favorite match of all time as well. It brought me back to wrestling. It is a match that I will go back at least once a year and go watch, and it still gets me every time because it is it was just a master class in storytelling. Um, and that's what's great about wrestling for me. So I just wanted to put that over. Uh, we can move on, but that yeah, that the impact he had was incredible in that match. All right, coming in at number 49 with 173 votes. He was on Andretti's list at 71. He was on Mongoose's list at 27. That's got to be the highest that we've seen. Uh, we got JC's list at 69. Nice. Nice. And he came on my list at 64, and that is Ted DiBiase. So take it away, Mongoose. <laughs> money, 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 money. Uh, so I had the tape for joining the WWF fan club in 1991 or 92 that had that song, the Texas Tornadoes song. And there was one other one that I wish I could remember, but I don't. Uh, and so the lyrics to that song are emblazoned in my brain forever, simply because uh, I was that was the WWF sent me that. Right. So I played that thing over and over again. Ted DiBiase has as many Hasbro figures as the Ultimate Warrior. Okay, so that's an important thing to think about. He had a wrestling buddy at the same time that only Jake the Snake, the Ultimate Warrior, the Legion of Doom, Hulk Hogan had wrestling buddies. Um, this guy was the quintessential heel. And the best thing was he wasn't a heel in the Monstery Factory that they would feed Hulk Hogan. He was a heel that had staying power because what he did was instead of him actually getting into the ring and then losing to Hulk Hogan on Saturday night's main event or SummerSlam or whatever, he paid other people to do it. And so he was the, you know, the underboss. And I thought that that was a really, really cool and interesting take on a wrestling bad guy. Um, the dude was a central part of the storyline with 
Andre the Giant, where uh, 33 million people tuned in to see the main event versus him and Hulk Hogan, uh, where Andre won and then sold the belt to Ted DiBiase. Um, so there he is, you know, right there. He then goes and he main events WrestleMania 4 versus Macho Man Randy Savage for the belt. If he would have won, of course, no one wanted to see a heel go over. But at the like, if we can look back in retrospect, nobody would have been mad. Goes into the feud with Virgil, which was mid-card, but was a, a big deal, mid-card kind of feud. Um, starts to team with IRS. Those two together, man, as Money, Inc., uh, the Natural Disasters feud was a big one for me. We then had them versus the Mega Maniacs, which was the co-main event of WrestleMania 9. Um, after that, we get into him bringing back the fake Undertaker, which at the time I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy's so rich. He just brought back the Undertaker. What's going on? We find out it wasn't the Undertaker at all, but he's an integral part of that storyline. And then the dude fill, uh, forms the Million Dollar Corporation. That Million Dollar Corporation really quick has the Underfaker, has IRS, Bam Bam Bigelow, got Tatanka to turn heel on Lex Luger, Kama Mustafa, King Kong Bundy, Psycho Sid, the One Two Three Kid, also has fake Santa Claus, which was actually Balls Mahoney that beat down Savio Vega on a Christmas show. Um, and dude, Nikolai Volkov, he buys Nikolai Volkov as a legend, makes him put on a T-shirt, a tuxedo T-shirt with sense signs on it to show how mm -hmm. little of a deal he is. Um, so that sort of uh, emasculization made me love Nikolai Volkov after being a rotten USSR bastard for all those years, right? Um, and then at the end, he brings in Steve Austin. And yeah. so people forget that the ringmaster's first finisher was the Million Dollar Dream. And he they had Ted DiBiase as his mouthpiece. So while this guy ended up being one of the best talkers ever... They obviously put him into a place with one of their top talkers to be somebody that could really go places, and he ended up doing it. And so Ted DiBiase is a part of that. And then lest we forget, the dude goes to WCW and is one of the first members of the NWO and helps catapult that, uh, that uh, please help me, what's the word? Stable. Thank you. Helps catapult that staple, staple, stable, stable into the stratosphere, which then starts the wrestling war, which then the rest is history, right? So Ted DiBiase is so much more important than anybody even thinks about. And the dude's an Observer Hall of Famer. So he automatically cracked my top 40. And whenever I thought about those things that I just said, he just dethroned person after person after person. And so Ted DiBiase, not only do I think your last name is cool for a couple of reasons, you deserve <laughs> to be here. Wink, wink. Uh, yeah, and for me, like DiBiase, like I'm my first, like because I he was not, I was not in the new gen era, but going back and watching those new gen era, all those like Raws and the pay per views and everything like that, like him in him as Money Inc. with uh, IRS and like the one the match at um with the Natural Disasters at SummerSlam '92, like I, for some reason that I love that that is such a great curtain jerker match and I loved it and. I know that there's a lot of stuff of Million Dollar Man that I haven't seen that I need to see. Uh, but yeah, I, I love I, I, I'm a huge Million Dollar Man, Mark. 
there's there's a tag match with those two, and I, I probably said on the show more than once, but it's him and IRS versus the Natural Disasters, and they have they take turns keeping Typhoon in a corner, and Million Dollar Man's putting the dream on, and then he would tag in IRS to put a sleeper, and back to back. And I'm just laying on my living room floor as like an eight-year-old screaming at the TV, man. Like <laughs> great, great, great psychology, man. Great stuff. <laughs> we got Potsky Doc. My thing, my impression, again, it I'm much like you, John, in that my understanding of DiBiase is through the lens of me as an adult and me understanding at least a little bit, maybe about how wrestling works and, you know, sort of what's expected of characters like him. And especially in the context of the WWF, where he wasn't necessarily used as a worker as much as he was a personality. But man, he was just an effortless asshole. Yeah. (laughs) That's the thing that gets me about him. Like it, it definitely wasn't a work. It was sitting in there somewhere. Um, And I think you maybe see that with some charges he caught later in life, but, um you know when you can pull off a character like that so effortlessly um and then on top of that be a good worker and understand the psychology and then have the machine behind you and have storylines that make you a little bit different um like mongoose was saying it, it it's a recipe for success and i think you really hit it um you hit the nail on the head there when you talked about the merchandise that he was moving and the volume of it, because at the end of the day, that's what it's about, right? It's about dollars and cents. Um, And he was clearly drawing. I mean, they're not going to put a product out there that they don't think is going to make money. Well, and Uh, and, and and that's remembered. Yeah. And that, and that's just, it is, is that you, you can't sell lion o figures without selling mamra right you can't sell mm-hmm. the power rangers without selling rita repulsa stuff like that, that you know that's it's the way that it is and it's the way that it always has been because what fun is it to play with your good guys if they can't face a bad guy mm-hmm. and he was such a good bad guy that they redid his figure three different times in that hasbro line alone the fact again the fact that he has as many hasbros as the ultimate warrior i think is big 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 deal and they just released a brand new one here in 2023, one with a sculpt of him in his prime with the WWF anyway, and one of old man Ted from when he was on NXT a couple right. years ago or last year, whatever it was. So the man is still a draw. So, yeah. I mean, what can you say? You know, I think we've we've covered him pretty nicely in his uh, impact on the wrestling business. Yeah, and then some of his uh, accolades, he won Best Gimmick, Best Heel uh, in the Observer, Best Technical Wrestler. He had Feud of the Year two times, and uh, and he and he was Observer Hall of Famer in 1996. Uh, he won the million, he was the Million Dollar Champion, obviously, North American Champion, Tag Team Champion three times, King of the Ring in 98, uh, WWE Hall of Fame Class of 2010. So that is Ted DiBiase. And coming in at 48 on the list with 173 votes. He was on Andretti's list at 75. He was on Mongoose's list at 58. JC's list at 44 and my list at 54. And uh, that is RVD. So 
Take it away, Posky Doc. When I think about Rob Van Dam, I think a lot about, I don't want to say missed opportunities. Um, I think he probably hit his ceiling. Uh, and his ceiling was pretty damn awesome. Um, you think about his career path. He started, he had a brief uh, cup of coffee uh, in WCW. And then he was, you know, he, he made his name as in ECW where he was the whole show. Um, and then he found a way, uh, because of his work and I don't know necessarily of it, was it his personality so much, uh, but his work in the, um, excuse me, word, words are hard, the ruthless aggression era and that, and that sort of time frame where, yeah. I mean, he, he, he dethroned John Cena to win the WWE title. Uh, one nice I don't think he's yeah. Cena five. Yeah, and I mean, he had an abbreviated run because of some, you know, out of the ring stuff. But at the same time, like, they're not having you lose. You're not having that guy lose for no reason. Right. I mean, yeah, you win it and you lose it in the ring. But, uh, and I mean, he's still over today. People love to see him. He's wrestled this year. Um, and it, it, it's... He he's an impressive example of what can be done and in the WWE if you are under the right circumstances. So yeah, for me, for me, RVD, like I don't think you know, I said this last time about Jeff Hardy. Like, I don't think there's been as many there's an equal amount of five star frog splashes that have been hit on a trampoline in the same amount that it was with a Swanton bomb. And Five star frog splash is still one of the greatest high flying moves of all time. I'd like, I'd put it very close second behind the Swanton Bomb. And, you know, like he was the whole effing show. He was Mr. Monday Night uh, on Raw, like in the Ruthless Aggression era. Now I know that he had like all of his, he got all of his notor notor notoriety in ECW, uh, but I, I know RVD from the Ruthless Aggression era. And then, you know, he, went on and had the stuff with that inaugural ECW show. Uh, and then, you know, he uh, had a lot of stuff in impact. He was huge in impact throughout those, like the, the 20 teens. Um, and then, you know, he kind of goes off and does a little bit of stuff with AEW currently kind of ish, but um, you know, he's still relevant today. He's still now he's a little slow. He's shown his age a little bit, but mm -hmm. RVD is one of those guys that, you know, if kind of, if you think about it, I don't know how what much more he could have done to been any better other than probably be a little bit better on the mic. But, you know, it's yeah. one of the things where Vince never really trusted him. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I love it. RVD's on the list. He definitely deserves to be in the top 50. Yeah. And so for me, my, my Rob Van Dam experience is a little bit earlier than you all. And that's only a symptom of age, I would suppose. But uh, so I was first exposed to RVD on whatever weirdo broadcast station we had at the time that would play ECW shows. Uh, and I was not there at the beginning, but I was there when him and Sabu were running roughshod as being like the top, top guy tag team uh, that would 
fend off whomever you know was was coming to take their place as the top guys in the company and for that whole tv title run which i feel like lasted 10 years i know that ecw itself didn't even go for 10 years but i just remember rvd as being the tv championship or the tv champion rather um and so you know that 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 infected into you know eighth grade me i got my first demerits in school because i wrote um, the whole effing show and then my shoot name on a whiteboard in the gymnasium before phys ed in eighth grade one year. Uh, so I got in some trouble for that. Thanks, Rob. Uh, but yeah, dude, he was, he, this guy was, this guy was the cat's meow from the beginning. Whenever you have the uh, Pantera song as your walkout, like uh-huh. walk, walk is as good a come out song as anybody could ever have. Um, and to be in that environment and to have that crowd screaming, respect, walk just over and over again. Like they didn't even play the song. They just looped over and over again. That part was awesome. And then he comes to WWE and, you know, sort of a, you know, a hodgepodge of a mishap of an invasion. But then he ends up coming out on the other side. We have the IC title feuds and runs, and he did a wonderful job in all of those. There's there's no bad matches that come from any of that. Uh, I love the Kane stuff where it was RVD and Kane, and then it was RVD versus Kane. Uh, and then, you know, Kane finally kills him whenever Kane realizes that his face is disfigured, except that it isn't. And it was just in his mind the whole time. But that's a story for another day, I suppose. Uh, and then, the, yeah, the cherry on the top is the one night, one night stand thing. Like you said, John, I might have seen that match live and meeting in real time. Like, because I know that we bought the first one night stand I did not remember the second one. I watched that with you and holy cow, you know, like what a show. The show was great, but what a match. And then the dude, as you both said, said he's still here today. Crowd goes nuts whenever they hear the music. He could still do his high spots. And it was the, I don't want to say I, Cultural impact doesn't sound right because it's not actually cultural wrestling. I'm putting up air quotes, wrestling, cultural impact and longevity is what made me have him as high as I did. Yeah, he doesn't have any observer accolades, uh, but for WWE accolades, he was the uh, WWE champion one time, ECW, the ECW WWE champion one time, European champion, hardcore intercontinental champion. He's a six time intercontinental champion. Uh, he's a three-time tag team champion, won Money in the Bank in 2006. He went into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2021. He is the 15th Triple Crown champion, and he is the seventh Grand Slam champion in WWE history. And has a bunch of Instagram pictures with Katie Forbes. An enormous amount. <laughs> what a Effortlessly way. cool. What a way <laughs> to put a button on him. All right, coming in at number 47 on the list with 175 votes. Came on Andretti's list at 54. He was on Mongoose's list at 57. He was on JC's list at 45. And he was on my list at 73. And that is Double J, Jeff Jarrett. For me, I I love Jeff Jarrett. Now, I know that Andretti, he loves that late WCW run stuff of Jeff Jarrett. But I, I love Jeff Jarrett for his new gen run and how incredible that whole get up and gimmick was and the fact that he was this country singer 
Yeah, I went back and watched those that that new gen stuff, and he looked like a million dollars. He looked so awesome. I know that people hate that gear and hate that like whole run, but I love it. I think it's fantastic. That just means he knew what he was doing. I mean, we still talk about it to this day, and like, who the hell yeah. came up with that and approved that gear? And like, was it like actually guitar strings? I don't know. Like, I know that was thrown around at one point. Um, but yeah, like I, I love Jeff Jarrett and, you know, he's still going today, might even be doing some of his best work that he's ever done. Like in today's AEW, like whenever he was doing that stuff with Jay lethal last year, that stuff was awesome. And they're probably going to end up running it back with, um, Ric Flair probably here in AEW. They did a little bit of a stare down or whatever on social media. So I would not be surprised if they run it back. So I, Jeff Jarrett hats off to you, buddy. Yeah, I, I, as as again, as someone who enjoys wrestling from an entertainment perspective and almost an anthropological perspective, I appreciate Jeff Jarrett so much because he gets it on a different level. Mm -hmm. Like, and and again, like I don't know that you can really believe that that guy is a nice guy. Like he may actually be a good human and a really nice human. But again, an effortless asshole. And he gets it. He gets it that it's about entertainment and about, you know, money um, and, and getting heat. If you want to steal a, a Dave Meltzerism, you know, so like I've, I've listened to him talk on his podcast, which is very interesting to listen to if you haven't listened to it. Um, but you just appreciate how early he got it and that he was being the bad guy to make the good guy look good. And he's got it, gotten it this entire time. And he is good at it. Like being, and there's different kind of heels, right? Like he is just really good at being absolutely obnoxious. And it, I, I appreciate that so much. And it makes going back. Cause I kind of came to that realization about Jeff Jarrett before I went back and watched new gen. So as I was watching new gen, era and in his run in there like i'm just like all right he's just doing this to piss people off at a real high level and as someone who likes to do that occasionally i absolutely appreciated that from him um and like even uh, i remember especially during like when i was a kid watching him in that late wcw run i absolutely hated those shooting glasses <laughs> and now in 2023 looking back and going man I mean, that was a conscious decision. Yeah. And just the way that you do uh, stuff like that, just just to piss people off the level of psychology that it takes to do that. And it's still that that's turtleneck heat. That's the original hockey player turtleneck heat for me. <laughs> and <laughs> that's a That's a deep cut. You'll know uh, <laughs> Thomas Placanic, for those of you who need Google assistance. Um, it, it, it's it's just it. <sighs> I appreciate him in a different way uh, and just an all time great uh, for me on my list. So we got Mongoose. I hate, I, I hate Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> that means he did his job. Yeah, well, and, and the difference the here's the difference with him and JBL is that. Oh, I love JBL. Oh my God. All the, but all the things that you guys said is true about 
how to get heat, you know, once wanting the crowd to hate you, all that. The difference with JBL is that the more JBL got to exist in regular earth, the more of a dickhead we found out that he was. And Shoot I haven't yeah, and, and I haven't heard that about Jeff Jarrett, which actually right. Right. which is an, an an endearing thing. I want everybody to I, I want the theater, right? I do. I, I want I want good guys, I want bad guys. And when they're done, I don't want them to hate each other. I want them to literally all drink the beers and have the meals and high five and do all those things. I do. And that's why I put JB or Jeff Jarrett in the, you know, top third of, or middle third of my list, excuse me. And why I have JBL somewhere in the seven, eight hundreds. Um, because I, I, I feel like JBL was trafficking on, Hey, Mexicans, Whereas Jeff Jarrett was like, I'm an asshole. And I actually can get down with that. I really can. Yeah, I feel like those are two very different kinds of heat. Um, With Jeff Jarrett, the other reason that I have him so high, even though he's not a guy of mine, is when I look back at feuds that made a difference to me, uh, like when it was Jeff Jarrett beating Razor Ramon, I couldn't even stand to look at my television, man. I was so mad. And then when Sean beat Jeff Jarrett, I was over the moon because I felt like Sean beat a guy. Well, that matters, right? Like to go back 20 years later and look and say, oh man, like that's that's literally the way that this was supposed to play out. Um, his stuff with Owen is really good. And I also hated it because I hated him. Uh, but, you know, again, he was a great character, especially the stuff with Deborah. I thought that that was awesome, you know, to go back in retrospect and say, like, you know, that don't piss me off shirt and all of that. Great stuff, man. Um, I did not watch any of his WCW run. Everything that I've seen of his WCW run, I've seen posthumously, you know, like after the company died, uh, because I wasn't here to watch Jeff Jarrett be the chosen one. There was no chance that was going to happen. Uh, but I did have a chance to see him do a few things. And look, he's fine. Uh, we were, me, Andretti, uh, and a, a couple of buddies were one of the only probably 40 or 50 people that bought the first four or five NWA TNA pay-per-view shows, the weekly shows. Um, and of course, you know, there he was, you know, being him and, and in the main event and on the cover and everything else. Uh, but I can't say bad things because he was a top guy in that company through whenever he left it, when it was global force or whatever it was in 2018, 2019. And so look, there's a, there's a, this whole business is about making money. And if there was a living to be made, he did it. And who am I to say that he did it wrong, right? Uh, again, wasn't my cup of tea. You can say that that meant he did it right. I can agree with it to a point. Uh, he's a little exhausting with some of the stuff, but he absolutely deserves to be here. Yeah, and he won Feud of the Year in 1992 in the Observer with Lawler versus the Moondogs, and he was the most overrated wrestler of 2005. But uh, he was a European champion, inter six-time Intercontinental champion, tag team champion, WWE Hall of Fame in 2018, 
uh, won the World Heavyweight Championship four times and was the U.S. Heavyweight Champion in WCW three times. So uh, that is Jeff Jarrett. Coming in at number 46 with 189 votes, he was on Andretti's list at 41. He was on Mongoose's list at 31. He was not on JC's list, but he was on my list at 42. And this is a little bit of a controversial one, but this is Chris Benoit, Rabbit Wolverine. So what do you got, Mongoose, for this one, since he's the highest on your list? So I literally have him this high on this list because he was not voted out of the Observer Hall of Fame when the people that voted him in had the opportunity to vote, vote him out. So if he stayed in, then that's how I'm going to look is I'm just going to judge what I saw in the ring, right? And if we were judging out of ring stuff, not everybody murders their wife and kid, okay? But many people have done many terrible, terrible things. And so if this is just going to be a kayfabe list, meaning stuff that we saw happen in the ring, then he absolutely needs to be here. And we might even have him low. This guy is awesome. Uh, I did not see the new Japan stuff previous to his WCW arrival, but everything he did in WCW was great. It was so good that they tried to put the belt on him uh, to keep him whenever the sort of the rascals, um, who was going on it wasn't good enough to keep him because of the turmoil within the company but they saw it right like they did in a time where people that weren't hulk or you know macho or goldberg or nash didn't have the belt he got it and so then he comes over to wwe killer match after killer match the feud with that that little thing with angle and Jericho they have a ladder match and I should have written down one at Royal Rumble perhaps that was Royal Rumble uh, it, oh my gosh man I mean just top tier stuff and you could see it then and then when they did the Smackdown six and there he is in that tag team tournament and yeah. he's having all these killer matches with all these guys every single week on free TV for him to finally then get the belt, I mean, obviously it wasn't a successful run, uh, being that they did cut it short with uh, Orton beating him. Um, it doesn't matter, man. It, it was still a recognition of what he was able to do. And you know that was a big sway of the guys backstage. And he left this earth as terrible as anybody in the world could have left it. And everybody backstage was devastated. And that's what makes it probably the saddest thing is that you had a whole bunch of people that were his work family that had no idea that said great things through tears. And then we find out what happened. Right. But that that's this, this is, this is an upper echelon wrestler. And so just on wrestling, he deserves to be where he is. Yeah. I'm glad that you said it like that. That was like perfectly put. Uh, it, it as a, somebody for me who grew up in the ruthless aggression era, he came up and he like, took that belt at WrestleMania, uh, from at WrestleMania 20 from my favorite wrestler, Triple H. So like I I couldn't stand it. I was so boohooey over it. But he was like the top dog at the time, and he was he had such awesome matches. And um, you know he, you know he had a really cool run in WCW, uh, part of the Horsemen. 
Uh, so, you know, he, he was, he was awesome. He really was awesome in terms of kayfabe and wrestling and all that. He, he was awesome. And and if we're talking strictly on wrestling, he deserves 1000% to be on the list. Uh, but I know JC, JC didn't put him on his list. So, uh, we'll let him go now. Yeah. Again, all of those things you said are wonderful and you can't take away the in-ring work from him. Um, but on the other side of the coin, some people can separate the art from the artist. And there are many, many examples of people who do wonderful, top-tier, creative, artful things. And I would put wrestling under that category of creative art adjacent kind of thing. And, you know, there are extenuating circumstances uh, with mental health and CTE. And it's a lesson for all of us not to be flying, headbutting people. Uh, for decades on end, you know, um, so I I couldn't, despite all of the wonderful things he did as a profession, I couldn't bring myself to put him on the list. And it sucks. I don't want to feel that way. Um, but it is what it is. Um, I hope people not only can appreciate the work that he did, but can take something from the end and be better to each other and better to yourself and foreground mental health in different ways. I don't want to end this on a negative note. So foreground your mental health and, and take things seriously and don't bonk yourself on the head. You know, I, I hope that that despite the negatives, I hope that we can take a lesson from it and do better in multiple facets of life. Yeah. And in terms of observer, uh, awards he was best brawler in 04 best technical wrestler five times feud of the year in 04 match of the year in 2002 most outstanding wrestler two times most underrated wrestler in 1998 uh, he was the reader's favorite wrestler in 97 and 2000 and he was a hall of fame uh, inductee in 2003 he is the 12th triple crown winner of wwe he won the world rumble in 2004 tag team tournament champion winner three-time uh, tag champion, four-time intercontinental champion, three-time U.S. champion, and world heavyweight champion one time. And he was also world heavyweight champion for WCW. And the list goes on and on. He was a WC Triple Crown champion. Like, those things are very, very well-deserved on the list, just extenuating circumstances outside that hinder where he is. So uh, that is Chris Benoit. Halfway on the list today at number 45, coming in at uh, 190 votes. He was on Andretti's list at 24. He was on Mongoose's list at 74. He was on JC's list at 56. And he was on my list at 60. And that is Bill Goldberg. And, like, for me, I feel like Goldberg, like, there's... He is arguably the top star of the 90s outside in the part of the attitude era wcw literally put their company on his back there uh in the year where they made their most money pay-per-view wise in 98 like they sold that match on their television where he wins the world heavyweight champion from hulk hogan in a time where that just didn't happen um despite the fact of him being a one-trick pony kind of uh, you know, but I feel like that shouldn't take away from the fact that like he was a, such an insane 
draw for him to only have basically two moves, jackhammer and spear. And, and for, kick Brett in the head. And a kick butt in the head if, if we're, you know, sorry, Brett. Uh, but if, this guy was, if, when you think of a wrestler and you look at a wrestler, he's exactly what you think of. Very incredibly believable. You know, he had an intensity, a demeanor in the ring that he was going to kill you, and he killed a lot of people. So I, I love Bill Goldberg. Had a great run in WCW, obviously, with the undefeated record. Um, then comes to WWE and has kind of a lackluster first run. Could have been better, but didn't seem like he was getting what he really wanted. Loved them in the uh, Elimination Chamber match in 2003 SummerSlam. Uh, he, we talked about him on in the Unforgiven 03 retrospective that we did here on the channel. So go back and listen to that too. Um, but a, a guy that absolutely deserves to be on the list. One of he's a one of one, and uh, I, I love I love Bill Goldberg. So happy that Goldberg made the list. Yeah, I like Goldberg. Uh, pretty well. Uh, he's not my style of wrestler per se, um, but you can appreciate what they did, how they built him, and what he meant for a short period of time. Um, I don't need to see a Bill Goldberg match ever again. I don't definitely don't need to see him with Taker ever. Um, again, on, no more headbutting things. Are the best shows ever. Yeah, something all right. Um, but. He he's an example of the highest of highs and lowest of lows. Um, so I can definitely appreciate what he meant to the business. You know, as you can use him as an archetype to some degree, you know, for building people like him. I don't know that it would necessarily work perfectly in the modern era, uh, given the style stylistic changes and and preferences of fans these days. Um, but just to put over, you know, how big he was and still is today. He was on the Atlanta Falcons football field this weekend. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, half-assed spine buster to dude um, as part of their, like, pump up because he was a football player. And so you can't deny it. Um, it over is over. Um, there's a lot of different ways to be over. He was clearly over. Um, I don't know. And, and, and the thing about it too, is I don't know if you could put another person in that same spot and get the same results. Yeah. Um, it's true because he was so physically charismatic, um, that the look and just the intensity, I mean, he, there were tons of jacked up dudes who never got even a quarter as popular as he did. Right. So. And they had longer runs like Luger. So, you know, I, there, there was a lot of intangibles that went with him. And it was a perfect right place, right time. And, you know, you got to give him his due. We got Mongoose. I got Bill Goldberg as the Ultimate Warrior 2.0. Uh, so you yeah. guys didn't have mm -hmm. a chance to run through that as a youth, uh, but Bill Goldberg's run for you guys would have been the ultimate warriors run for me, where all of my friends were ultimate warrior fans because his music was awesome. And he came to the ring and he was jacked up and he 
killed you to death. Yeah. And then he ran out of the ring. And that's kind of seriously, literally what Goldberg did, except he didn't run. He walked. Right. right? Um, and he got blown up at the end of it. Yeah. And, and like that, that sort of, you know, when you said the archetype JC, it's, it's something that can hit forever if you do it right. And with the ultimate warrior, they built him into the person that needed to beat Hulk Hogan. And then they realized, oh shoot, he shouldn't have beat Hulk Hogan, right? Because what do we do next? With Goldberg, it was close, but it wasn't the same. And the reason why is I do think that he did have more staying power than the Warrior did, only because he was presenting himself as an ex-athlete, whereas the Warrior was presenting himself as just this physical specimen. And yeah. so because Goldberg brought in with him actual athletic credibility, I think that was the intangible that was missing with the warrior. Um, I, I, and I don't have the quote in front of me, but it's Bobby Heenan said that when they beat Bill Goldberg, that they killed the golden calf essentially was that this shouldn't have happened when I, in live time, I dude, I was so team Nash so team Wolfpack <laughs> that I was just high five and everybody when Kevin Nash beat him. And then to see what their plans were next is just next level. Come on. Um, and so, yeah, that was it. That, that him losing was the true end. People say that it was sting not beating Hogan at Starcade. It wasn't because they accidentally caught lightning in a bottle with Goldberg and Goldberg could have been that one that could have kept them on that upward trajectory for years to come and maybe would have saved the company. And because they decided to take the belt from him the way they did and then book the belt the way they did and just went, tried to go back to 1996, three years later was just a total, total misstep. Uh, it, but he's great. He, he is and deserving, but for me, not as deserving as many people better at this than him. I have him in just inside that top three fourths uh, because of what he was able to accomplish, how over he was the charisma, but it's the limitations that he had as a worker that sort of maybe put him back up there. Yeah. And as far as uh, observer awards, he had best wrestling wrestling maneuver. Uh, he was, I'm looking at all the dragon. Uh, he was Rookie of the Year in 1998. Uh, he was World Heavyweight Champion in WWE, Universal Champion two times on his way back. He uh, was also part of the Hall of Fame uh, Class of 2018, won the World Heavyweight Champion in WCW, the U.S. Championship two times, and he was Tag Team Champion with Bret Hart, and he was the fifth Triple Crown winner in WCW. Coming in at 44 with 192 votes. He was on Andretti's list at 29. He did not make it on Mongoose's list. He was on JC's list at 39. And he was on my list at 43. And that is Tatsumi Fujinami. So I really don't have to say. Let me go first really quick. And then then I'll let you guys. I don't have Fujinami on my list because I know who he is. I know Fujinami from being one of the old guys that tagged with Jushin Thunder Liger and his retirement tags at Wrestle Kingdom. And then he randomly showed up at the Rambo last year. So like, I hate to say it, dude, but those, that's my, that's my exposure to Fujinami. So like, I probably did you wrong, brother. 
<laughs> but but I I've only seen literally sixty five year old you in the ring. You got you guys go. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a lot on Fujinami either. Uh, he he was best technical wrestler through for three times in the Observer. He won in nineteen eighty five, eighty six, and eighty eight. He was most outstanding wrestler in nineteen eighty eight, and he was Observer Hall of Famer in ninety six. Uh, he has a lot of Tokyo Sport uh, awards that we mention here sometimes. Uh, but he was six-time IWGP heavyweight champion. That's one of the main reasons why I put him on my list as high as I did. If you can win that belt as many times as he did, I don't even need to see your stuff. I already know that you're legitimate. So um, he won the tag team championship five times. He was international junior heavyweight champion, NWA world heavyweight champion. Um, he he won the client. He won the G one in '93. Uh, he one one of the by this accolades alone, he deserves to be on the list for me. So that's why he made it. Mainly because if I see somebody that's won the IWGP Heavyweight Championship six times, I, I know I'm a little, I'm a young pup. I'm not uh, as heavy in kayfabe as others here, uh, but that's why he made the list for me. Yeah, he's one of the names of uh, preeminent Japanese wrestlers that are on my list to kind of get my head around. Um, obviously he has all of those accolades um and again as i was going through my list i was trying to do right by um international wrestlers as best i could mm-hmm. so i tried to understand what was going on with someone like a fujinami and try and put him in a place where i felt comfortable um even if i didn't know all of the things and going mostly on accolades and things that they have um so it's interesting. He's uh, invented. He's credited with inventing the dragon sleeper and the dragon suplex moves we see today. The longevity uh, is something to be said for his career. Um, it's interesting, and I didn't know this. Uh, he is currently on a WWE Legends deal. Really? Where's my Fujinami figures? Yeah, where are the where are the Fuji figures? Yeah, where's this at? So uh, an interesting quote here. Bret Hart said that Fujinami, about Fujinami, I always wanted to be the great wrestler that Tatsumi Fujinami was. So if the excellence of execution is saying that, that's that's pretty high praise. That's good enough for me, brother. So um, yeah, I think certainly has all the accolades to do it, and he should be on people's lists of people to get a better handle on. Coming in at 43 uh, with 192 votes. He was on Andretti's list at 69. Noise. He was on Mongoose's list at 38. He was on JC's list at 54. And he was on my list at 51. And that is the Ultimo Dragon. So take it away, Mongoose. The Ultimo Dragon deserves to be in anyone's top 40. Only for that photo of him arm spread with eight or whatever title belts all around him. Um, One of the most iconic photos in sports history. I don't even say wrestling history. Like, I feel like people that don't even know have seen that photo somewhere at some point in time. Um, So that like, that's top notch right there. Uh, What I need to say is that my exposure to Ultimo Dragon came with the WCW run. I have him as high as I do because of the WCW run, saw the WWF run, 
and with the observer observer hall of famedom get a chance to go back and see hey this guy did this that and the other thing and so unfortunately for fujinami i only saw him as you know a dude with an aarp card whereas with ultimo dragon i was able to see as a contemporary um and see what he was doing in real time and and do things at a high level uh, the w- w- wcw stuff's great man uh we have the d malenko feud um great matches there he's in that cruiserweight crop with eddie uh with alex Wright, with um it, uh, so he's in that whole sort of churner of these people that were having those top-notch a uh, first hour of nitro matches that that they're so famous for now or those pay-per-view openers or whatever else so top-notch stuff there and then when he came to wwf i remember that being the biggest deal man we were so excited for him and he had that big grandiose entrance and you know they had that run with him in there with you know ray and those other guys and then there was the uh the that cruiserweight open or whatever they called it at wrestlemania was at 20 yeah where he uh where he had the trips yeah he, he tripped once coming in and then tripped again yeah. and it's a, it's a shame that there's a whole lot of wwf fans that will think of that um and i don't know what it is with masked men dude like sincara doing the same thing to have this like horrible you know flubbing entrance uh, but this guy is top notch and he really is and for, I, again, I didn't have Fujinami because I haven't seen what he did outside. However, for me to see Ultimo Dragon, especially in that prime WCW run, and then to be as excited as we were with that WWF run, I know that it wasn't what he wanted it to be. Uh, he didn't get to the heights that he could have attained. But at the same time, he was still a top, like one of the the cruiserweight style top guys that they brought in. And he has a million accolades from all over the place. And if you don't believe me, find that picture I was just talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That J crown photo really, really sums it up. Um, and it's just one of those iconic photos like you were talking about. And um, I just remember watching him. He's one of the few things like I watched wrestling, you know, in the attitude era and the, that that um mid to late 90s era and i was obviously i was pretty young at the time given my age but um i remember him sticking out even amongst all of those super over and some of the very colorful um cruiserweights of the time and i remember likening him i mean maybe this is just part of where my numbering came in there but i remember thinking about the green power ranger oh yeah when I saw him because he just, he, it was the shield that he wore and the dragon association. And maybe that stuck with me all the years. Cause I'm a green ranger guy, but you know, it, but you go back and watch it and it's like, man, this guy was doing great, great stuff. Having banger matches that have set the tone for what we see today as the current style. Um, so yeah, I forerunner, uh, for what we see today in a lot of respects um did it all you know that's that's kind of where where my head was at yeah and then for me Ultimo dragon the first thing i think about is him in wwe smackdown here comes the pain because you just saw this masked guy on the loading screen and then like in the menu and i had no idea who this guy was but he looked awesome and you started using him in the game and you realized like this guy was like so awesome to use um and 
you know, I was reading a little bit here that in his accolades and stuff like that, that he came to WWE because he wanted to be at Madison Square Garden. He wanted to be at a WrestleMania and he did both of those things, which probably seems why his run was so short. Uh, but he has a incredible uh, list of accolades. He was best wrestling maneuver in 96, uh, most underrated, and he is an Observer Hall of Fame inductee in 2004. Uh, he won the Cruiserweight Championship two times in WCW, the Television Championship two times as well. Uh, he was a junior heavyweight champion two times. Uh, like the guy, the guy is cream of the crop when it comes to uh, wrestlers and especially cruiserweight wrestling. And uh, super excited that Ultimo Dragon made it on the list. And we all know how much Andretti loves him and how uh, much he uh, stood him up while we were uh, in LA for WrestleMania this year. All right. And our final two of the day we got with nine 194 votes so we're getting close to the 200 mark now uh he was on andretti's list at 72 he was on my li my list at 37 he was on jc's list at 41 and he was on mongoose's list at 60 and that is none other but the animal batista and I love Batista because he was always that lackey that was a part of Evolution, which I still feel that Evolution is one of the best stables ever in wrestling history. He was the muscle um, outside of the fact that, you know, he was Leviathan and then he came in, you know, carrying that uh, that metal briefcase with Devon, like for, forget all that stuff. But what Deacon Deacon Batista, man. Deacon Batista be mm -hmm. also Leviathan and and all that for Cornette in uh, OVW, but everything that he did in Evolution was incredible. I loved him in that role, and then leading up to that WrestleMania 21 match, whenever he was like kind of leaning around the corner and listening into what Triple H was saying to Ric Flair, trying to get him to jump to SmackDown. Um, and it was incredible. I love that storyline. It's one of my favorite wrestling storylines of all time. It won feud of the year in, in the observer. So like it is a top, that was a top notch moment and it's what put him on the map. And, uh, you know, he never looked back. He had incredible rivalries with the undertaker and you can't, you just can't forget about that kind of stuff. So, um, I love him. And even though he came back as blue Tista, it's all right. That's all right. He ruined, he almost ruined that. Uh, he almost ruined WrestleMania, but uh, I, I love Batista. He, you know, he goes beyond even wrestling now too, because he's a part of the Marvel universe. Uh, but his intensity, his look, his believability and that Batista bomb and the spine buster alone. I say that, you know, Batista is up there with, he, he doesn't touch on Anderson's spine buster, but he has a top five spine buster in the business of all time. Yeah. I mean, they, they put him up there um, with the toppest of the toppest guys in that era. It was edge and taker. And of course, Cena, they had legendary matches together again. Doesn't mean, doesn't necessarily need to be a technical masterpiece to be a great match and have a great story and, and mean something. And that's kind of where I put Batista as, one of those guys that, okay, maybe if he comes along 10 years later, it doesn't necessarily work. Um, but the charisma, and maybe he's not the greatest promo in the world, but his look had a certain level of draw and charisma. 
uh, not only just as being a big jacked up dude, but having all the tattoos. He looked like an action figure. Um, and it doesn't hurt that I don't think he's a bad dude. Um, and he probably got what he deserved as far as his run and the work that he put in and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, he's one of the ones who stick out from that era for me. And from what I remember watching, I wasn't as big a fan watching at the time. But even I was culturally aware of Dave Batista. Um, so, yeah, I think he checks a lot of boxes and, and made a big impact at a time where, you know, they talk about it where business kind of slumped a little bit in that time frame. And it wasn't as big, not as mainstream uh, coming out of the attitude era and things like that and they strapped the rocket to him and he helped them rebound um in a lot of ways so yeah good on batista 42 well deserved i got batista on my list as high as i do because he was the reason that i bought the last wrestlemania that i ever bought Oh, because because that was still in the time when we were buying all the pay-per-views. Yeah. And at, at that time, you know, I was in college, you know, and there's there's college things to do. And we all go through our our makeups and breakups with pro wrestling. You know, I've, I've, I've had three or four of them in my life. Um, and that was at a time where, you know, other things I was doing other things. Right. And so watching raw watching smackdown wasn't a priority however i i know with without a doubt that i bought that wrestlemania watched that wrestlemania and it was all because of him doing the thumbs down yes. and turning on triple h uh, may, would i have bought a show or two after that possibly you know again i'd have to go back and look and really sort of you know cram my cram my thoughts with that one but he was it. And that, that Deacon Batista thing, the reason I wanted to say that out loud was I, I was watching when this guy that was this big deal in OVW came up and he was Devon Dudley's money box guy. I don't understand how we thought that was a good idea, but yeah. they immediately decided, oh my gosh, it isn't. And they did. They put him into a top guy spot and they put him with two of the tippiest top guys of all time and everybody made out better because of it. You know, triple H was actually elevated from reign of terror to, okay, we can accept you as a top heel. And then you elevated two guys, Randy Orton still kicking today. And, you know, Batista, what I do give him credit for is that he went into mainstream, he had mainstream appeal. Um, and he came back and did that match with triple H and they're like, taking pliers to nose rings and all kinds of weirdo stuff. Like, look, man, he tried to have a banger final match. And for all those reasons, man, you deserve to be here, Dave. So good on you. And as far as Observer Awards, uh, he has two feud of the years for 05 with Triple H in 2007 with Undertaker, two-time WWE World Champion, four-time World Heavyweight Champion, three-time Tag Team Champion, uh, and a Royal Rumble winner. Uh, in 05, the famous 05 one and 2014. That is one of Mrs. Mongoose's favorite wrestling moments. She <laughs> will pop every time that comes on the screen and we see Vince blow both quads. Uh, <laughs> all right, our final entrant on the countdown today. 
comes in our very first entrant with 200 points. He was on Andretti's list at 51. He was on Mongoose's list at 33. JC's at 62 and mine at 58. And that is Big Van Vader. So take it away, Mongoose. Big Van Vader's the Macedon. And when I was watching as a young fella, uh, when he came and he had Harley Race as his manager, I did not know that Harley Race was a wrestler. Yeah, I didn't. I just, I thought that he was just slick talking piss blonde hair dyed guy that was seconding this actual murderer. Okay. Like Vader was everything. And then you find out that Harley race was a legit top, top guy himself. And so that made a whole lot of sense. Right. Um, but I was introduced to Vader with his, his feud with sting, uh, where he, uh, beat sting for the title. Uh, there's that, that whole white castle of fear thing, all of that is great stuff. Um, the thing that I really, really remember outside of that was the uh, King of Cable tournament. Um, it's from a, an early Starcade, and it's it's got to be like 92, 93, 94. That Battle Bowl. Was, it, was that Battle Bowl? It was Battle Bowl. I'm remember, looking at it right now. Okay. I remember him beating Vader in the King of Cable tournament. And I was like, oh my God, oh, yeah, honey, we done did it. You know what I mean? Like I thought that that was the mm -hmm. hugest deal to win that thing. Um, and so like when, when those types of things matter and they're not for the world strap, that's how, you know, some, how over somebody is, especially as a heel, like whenever you have a baby face beating a heel for something that isn't the world belt. And like King of Cable, dude, I don't think that that ever happened before or again, but I remember it still, you know, X amount of years later, because I won't just, just you know, put my age out there. Y'all can't know. Uh, <laughs> just incredible things. And then he goes from that to the Cactus Jack feud, where there's the whole Cactus Jack lost in Cleveland skits and vignettes that come uh, come around after that they have that insane texas death match at halloween havoc off of that we get um we get vader and sid teaming together against uh sting and davy boy smith with sid and flip-flops on the beach and midgets and you know just bombs and floating boat yeah Yes, all that stuff, man. And then he gets into the uh, Hogan stuff, which when Hulk came, I was still a total Hulkamaniac. And when he was facing ba Vader, I'm just thinking to myself, like, of course you beat Ric Flair, but there's no way, dude. There's no way you beat Vader. And he did. And I was just all in. And I ran the second that I saw those San Francisco toy maker uh, toys in the um, in Hills with Vader and Hogan, with a ring, with a cage. I bought all of it. I bought all of it that very second, man, because it was all to scale and I could have Hulk beat Vader over and over and over again, just in case it didn't happen in real life. And then he gets involved with the Dungeon of Doom stuff. That fades out. We're now in peak Hulk territory in the WWF or WCW. And then what happens at the Royal Rumble 96 after Sean comes back from the tell me a lie and say that you won't go. 
oh, he gets eliminated by the biggest, baddest man that I've ever known as a young fellow, which is Vader. And so I'm, you know, throwing things. And I don't know if 11-year-old me is cursed in the way that I would have now, but I'm letting it all hang out. And then homeboy Gorilla Monsoon comes in, writes the wrongs, and says, this ain't going to happen. Well, then that bastard Vader done ruined Gorilla's, you know, spine and everything. This is an old fella. What a rotten heel. He had the most incredible introduction to a company ever. And it's a shame that he had to work with such a rotten person to work with, who's also my favorite wrestler ever, because I do believe that Sean probably killed the rest of his career in WWF. Um, but my God, what what a what a 91 through 96 run that was. And then the dude ends up leaving WWF and goes right back to Japan and starts killing it again. And so he's Vader's an all, all, all timer, like all timer. And he was on Boy Meets World. <laughs> yeah, Vader, like he is one. When I think of the quintessential, like super heavyweight, I think like that. Vader is the highest of the high on that list. Like he sets the standard and I love Vader and it, it, especially all that stuff that he did. You, you laid that out perfectly. Like, I don't think I could said anything any better there. Really a shame that he didn't really make, he didn't really pan out in WWE. Uh, and, and likely that Sean killed it dead. Uh, but you know what, a lot of what could have been. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, Sad that, you know, we didn't get all of it, but, you know, he ended up going to, like we said, New Japan and going over to just Japan in general and just literally lit it up. And, uh, yeah, what what a guy. Like, seriously, great. One of the great, like, probably the greatest super heavyweight we'll ever see. Sean, Sean and Vader should have been Sting and Vader. It, yeah. it, it's what it should have been. And that's that's what sucks is that Sean was Sean. You know, and so that, that that SummerSlam match, if if you haven't seen it, anybody go back and watch when he does that moonsault and Vader doesn't move and he lands on his feet and he just kicks the bleep out of his face and he's thrown a literal tantrum in the ring. That was it. Like that, that was it. And that's what really sucks is that that dude, they the WWF had a pay-per-view that winter called It's Time. Yes. And it was headlined by two people that weren't Vader. Like, obviously, that was supposed to be Vader in, in the Sid spot. You know, like that was going to be yep. Vader and Sean was going to be Vader and Sid. And that's what stinks is that that that, that could have been a legit Sean and Sting would have been Sting and Vader. And it wasn't. And it should have been. Yeah, a couple couple quick things and then uh, we'll pass it over to uh, Johnny Big Show. But uh, shout out Hills. Um, shout out the Slammy Award for the crime of the century assaulting faded Gino. Uh, miss you, Gino. Can't wait to see you next season. <laughs> um, and then, John, I need you to do me a personal favor on this one. Okay, mm -hmm. so on the video, draw to YouTube. Make sure you go to YouTube. I need you to put a picture and put under it that it's Mongoose approved and more importantly, uh, JC approved. It's a picture of Surfer Sting and then a greater than sign and then a picture of HBK. Uh, yeah, I don't even believe that myself. <laughs> I, I, I will I will find you in your place of residence. <laughs> anyway, you, 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 right um, now you can you can also cut to that Liam Neeson uh, taken promo. Uh, <laughs> that, that'll work. 
I'm just saying sting forever. Um, <laughs> sting doesn't have crossed eyes and not that much balding. So whatever sting plus one. Um, but getting back to Vader, I remember watching him as a kid and him being so different and unique looking and also scaring the bejesus out of me through a television. Um, and that's pretty incredible. Um, I know, you know, he didn't maybe get the run he should have uh, after the whole Sean thing, but the dude was a legit killer and scared the bejesus out of very young me and I'm sure very many other children as well. Um, Would have liked to see that face turn where he was just a gigantic teddy bear fighting and righting the wrongs of the world. But Instead, we got, I'm just a fat piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can all, okay, so... As a fat piece of shit, I appreciate like the the self awareness from Vader on that. Maybe a little self deprecating humor, but well, and you know the problem is is that it wasn't used like that. Like it wasn't supposed to be yeah. endearing. It was literally yeah. him just saying to the world, "I'm a fat piece of shit, so I'm I'm gonna go away." Like, yeah, what are we Terrible. doing, man? Like, like this is the same company that the, you you pushed Hakeem to the moon. Like, you can't do this with Vader. <sighs> that mask alone, he should have read. He should have main evented a WrestleMania with that mask. Are you serious? That big elephant thing he'd put on the mastodon. Yeah, that hit mast- that on the top of a stage. It's so good. When Hulk Hogan wore that in that cage, oh. I think it was in the cage and bashed the beach or something like that. Oh my god. And dude, Vader and Vader did the Vader bomb and then the moonsault. That was that was what made him so so killer. Yeah. It wasn't the power bomb. The masters of the power bomb team with him and Sid was great. But the fact that he would do a power bomb but also do the Vader bomb and then the moonsault was insane. Yeah, and with that moonsault, he won Best Wrestling Maneuver in the Observer Awards in 93. He won Best Heel in 93, Most Improved Wrestler in 99, and he was Wrestler of the Year in 1993, and he was an Observer Hall of Fame inductee in 1996. Uh, He was inducted to the the Hall of Fame class of 2022 in WWE. He was World Heavyweight Champion three times in WCW, United States Champion one time. Uh, and he was IWGP heavyweight champion three times, uh, won the uh, super grade tag team lead, won the title title tournament in 89. The dude did a lot. He won the triple crown heavyweight championship in uh, all Japan as well. So uh, very deserving. And I feel like that is the best 10 that we have done so far here on the list of the Podski 100. And we'll get back to the list here in a couple more weeks. We got some holiday stuff to wrap up with, so be on the lookout for that. And uh, if you want to, ch- if you're new to the show and you want to go back and check out the other stuff, where you can find it all in the archives, we don't put anything behind a paywall here yet. So, uh, but so thank you to uh, Mon- Teddy Mongoose and the Podski Doc. Make sure you check us out on socials at the underscore Podski on Twitter and Instagram you're following along on youtube drop a like and subscribe and if you're following us on um the podcast platform make sure you download rate and review and subscribe and thank you all for listening and we will see you next time on the pod ski